But the text we're looking at this morning provides another dimension of the Easter story. Now, we, we're hearing from Peter this morning who writes to us that we've received a living hope through Christ's resurrection. Living hope. Peter, you remember him in the scripture? He's the impulsive, impetuous disciple who fails miserably at the point of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' trial. He's denied the Lord, but he's been restored and he's become one of the chief, chief spokespersons for the church in its early years, leader of the church in Jerusalem, and a Paul's counterpart as far as leadership in the New Testament church. And this letter is probably written around 65 A.D., probably about the same time that Paul is writing his prison epistles. And 1 Peter is called a general epistle because it's not written to a particular church and it's not really dealing with any particular subject or issue. It's just a general letter of encouragement to various Christians. But it's of particular interest to us this morning uh, because it begins with this strong word of encouragement. I don't know about you, but I, I can use all the strong words of encouragement I can get, right? And it begins with this strong word of encouragement based upon the reality of what we're celebrating today, based upon the reality of the bodily re- resurrection of one man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And uh, he was crucified on Friday, as you will recall, right? But he rose from the grave early Sunday morning. And again, I was grateful that the sun came up a little later this morning so we could delay the service about 15 minutes to give us more time to get started. <laughs> but Peter addresses his, uh, his readers like this, beginning in verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles, or another word for that would be aliens, and he says dispersed, another term for that would be scattered, abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Real quickly, there are four things in, 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 that, in, in those brief words that, that he says about what we've been given and what God has done for us through Christ. Number one, he said we've, called, we've been chosen, right? God has chosen us and we have in turn responded to him and we've chosen him. Uh, but he chose us first. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, right? So we've been chosen by God. Then we've been, he talked about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We've been set apart. We are uniquely and, and specifically God's. We belong to him. Then he says, we've been, I would use this term, aligned. He talks about the fact that we've been called to be obedient. So he's a, beginning to align our comportment, our lifestyle, our character to, to the, way, the will and the way and the word of God. And then finally, he talks about the fact that we're forgiven. And these are not necessarily in order. They kind of almost work backwards. But the fact that we've chosen to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, and that, 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 an, an indica- that's an indicator of the fact that we've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. And so he continues. He says this. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, this is standard language, sta- standard letter-writing protocol format in Peter's day. Um, He's going, but what he's going to give them in the body of the letter is some content that will enable them to realize more of what he is wishing to them in these general words, may grease, may grease and, and, and pace, right? Um, this morning at breakfast, may grease be multiplied unto you. <laughs> may grace and peace be multiplied unto you. And what he's going to do is enable his readers to realize and to experience more grace and peace in their lives. And uh, I, I need all the grace and peace I can yeah. get. Amen. Yeah. And so these believers that he's writing to in, in, in the first century are probably comprised of two demographic groups. First, the first to include Jewish believers uh, who have probably fled Jerusalem due to the increasing persecution in the wake of the church's ex- explosive growth and, that we see recorded in the book of Acts. And, and, uh, and then 
some commentators uh, surmise that also he's writing to Jew Jewish believers who were converted and they never came back from the, uh, from the captivity and they were dispersed when, when Babylon took Israel captive and they're, they're, they're spread abroad. But they're basically people who are kind of ge geographically diverse and they're kind of all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like a lot of people in our society, a lot of people in the world today who are scattered and moved about. And so he writes to that group. And any other group that he writes to is probably Gentile Christians as well. Various Gentile converts, particularly those in the various regions who uh, mentioned who have given their lives to Christ. And we read in the New Testament, we see all of the various churches that have, that have cropped up where uh, the gospel has been preached by Paul, particularly, and others. And so they're exiles or aliens because the system has ostracized them and they share this sense of not belonging to the established order, to the, to, to the surrounding culture because they've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. And so they're dis dispersed, they're scattered. Literally, the word is diaspora. They're scattered about, they're exiles, they're strangers. There's a kind of spiritual wandering, a kind of disorientation that takes place when we realize that we're not accepted. You know, there are people that lost their families, they lost their homes, they lost their jobs because they decided to follow Jesus. None of us, unfortunately, has had to pay such a dear price. But they're scattered, they're displaced, and they're experiencing some of the stress, some of the uncertainty, and some of the disorientation that go along with being displaced. And so many of, the, uh, many of them are facing social rejection and rejection from their families and economic deprivation. So they, these, the folks that Peter is writing to, they need a word of encouragement. Mm -hmm. And Peter gets right to the point. He doesn't mince words in addressing these embattled and, 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 and disoriented believers. And he wants to remind them of what God has done for them and what they've received in Christ on the basis of those realities of what God has done for him. So in verse 3, this is what he writes. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. There it is. That's what we celebrate today, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is really what you would call a doxology. It's a certain format. It's a way of... Of, 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 of writing praise to God. It's, it's a particular format for praising God. You know, if you, when you went to school, if you went to college, you know that you had to write your papers in a certain format, maybe MLA or Turabian or, or uh, what's the other one? Because um, my wife and I, we, we, and we had, you buy. And so there's a format, there's a way that people write, there's a way that God is praised, there's a way that Christians worship. And so this is the format, it's a doxology. And, 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 it's, and it's actually uh, a kind of eulogy. And I know when you think of eulogy, you think of. Uh, the time you went to your cousin's funeral and the preacher was actually struggling to say anything good about your cousin. <laughs> and so he just preached the cross and got on with it, right? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. But it's a kind of doxology as well. It, it's a eulogetos. It, it means, that word means well spoken of. And so Peter is, is, is speaking well of God and giving glory to God. And, and uh, he, he's saying, blessed be. Oh, all praise to God. God is awesome. God is glorious. May God be blessed because he realizes that God has blessed us. And so God deserves to be blessed. And, and not only is Peter speaking well of God, but Peter realizes that God has spoken well of us and spoken over us. And God has said good things about us. And the events of Good Friday up through Easter Sunday morning are a statement of God's intent and his concern for us. Because Jesus said God loved the world after this manner that he gave his only son. And we see that communicates to us powerfully that God loves us and that we matter much to God and God cares about us. And so he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has blessed us spiritually. 
yet tangibly and materially. Spiritually, yes, on the inside, in ways that seem abstract and remote, but yes, He's blessed us in ways that we can feel and we can live out in ways that affect the way we live and the way we relate to other people. Uh, His blessings include every aspect of our lives uh, from the fact that He woke you up this morning and in in Him you live and move and have your being to the realization that Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection as well. And God has, by the way, God has spoken well of us in that regard. Peter says that the purpose or the result of the new birth is this thing called a living hope. Say living hope. hope. We said we serve a risen Savior this morning, but we serve a risen Savior who's granted us a living hope, an active hope, a vital hope, an animated hope, a real hope. He says that God, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's very very important language there because he's, he's identifying Jesus the Son with the Father and God is the Father of the Son and, and God, uh, God the Father and God the Son all active in our redemption. He says that God, who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great what? Mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? Somebody has said that grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. And mercy is God withholding from us what we do deserve. In other words, we deserve all manner of punishment and all manner of shame and all manner of of, of, of repercussion for our sin. But God withheld that and continues to withhold that in our lives. You know, because I I don't know about you, but I don't always behave so well. I don't know about you, but I don't always do everything I'm supposed to do. And that probably doesn't surprise you. But, but thank God for his mercy and his grace. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> In his great mercy, great mercy, he has given us new birth. Oh, we've been born again spiritually. And again, you know, you got we have dumb people in our culture who, who speak of religious and spiritual things and know not what they speak of. And they say, well, those are the born again Christians. Well, what are the other kind of Christians? <laughs> there is no other kind of Christian, my friend. Jesus said, you must be born again if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So if you're not born again, you're not a Christian. So all Christians who are Christians are born again. He has given us, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth, and that is into a living hope. The hope is living. Amen. It's living because it's secured for us by him who overcame death and who is our living Savior today. It's, it's you know, we sang it earlier. We said, I serve, that was a nice, I serve a risen Savior. Who is one who is alive, who is alive and well and living in the world today. And so Jesus provides us because he is alive. A dead Savior could not provide a living hope. A Savior entombed could not provide a living hope. But a living Savior is able to give you and I a living hope. And it's also living because it's continual. It doesn't go away. It's not a hope that fades. It only ends when it's been consummated. It doesn't have to last forever. Paul said these three Abide, faith, hope, and love. Love is the only one that goes on forever. Hope has, has a finite existence, but it exists in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds as long as we need it to until we've received the blessing that the hope speaks of. You know what I'm saying? It's continual. It lasts until such a time that all of God's promises have been fulfilled and we have received in full all that we have hoped for. Maybe your hope was dead at one point. Maybe your hope today, maybe you're struggling in your hope. Maybe you're wondering about your future. Maybe you're uncertain about certain things. I want to encourage you today. 
I want to remind you that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the tangible and real uh, effects of that resurrection that we, that we celebrate and we contemplate today is the fact that, that Jesus has provided for you a living hope. There is a future for you. I recall what, what, what the prophet Jeremiah wrote to God's people back in, in Jeremiah, I believe it was 29, when they were in captivity and the lying prophets were telling them, you know they're lying prophets, right? They call it, you know, it's prophesying, they call it prophet lying. And uh, the lying prophets, they're lying preachers too. Don't, 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 I'm, I'm trying not to be one of those, thank you. Amen. They said, yeah, we see one. No, 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 no. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, 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 they were like, uh, the, the, the lying prophets that you guys need to, you guys, you know, you're going to get, you get ready to get up out of here, so you just, you know, pack your bags, because this, this, this trial you're going through is almost over. And, and tomorrow's going to be good things for you. And, and God said to Jeremiah, uh-uh, it's going to be another 70 years, so, you know, settle down and deal with it. But then he caps it with these words, he says, and this is God speaking to Israel. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. He says, plans, he says, not to harm you, but plans to, 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 to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. And that's what God would say to us by extension. He would say, I absolutely have plans for you. Your life is going somewhere, whether it seems that way or not, whether you feel like you have a future or not. If you are in Christ, because of the resurrection, you have a living hope. So if your hope is dead, if your hope is struggling because of the resurrection, let me tell you something. We get up, up early on a Sunday morning like this because if I didn't love Jesus, I would be at home sleeping right now. But we get up early on a Sunday morning like this to celebrate the fact that God is in Christ giving you and me a living hope because we serve a risen Savior. Amen, somebody. Amen. Now there's a couple things about this hope. A couple things about this hope. Number one. It's objective in, in this sense, that it's based upon the finished work of Christ. So it's nothing to discuss with regard to that. It's not, it's, it's not negotiable. It's, it's, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It's objective. It is a done deal. The hope is, has, been, has been accomplished and given to us. It is our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But it's also subjective in that it, it is this kind of living and energizing and div- this divine principle that works on the inside of us. You know what? It, 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 it's, it's terrible when, when, when you don't have hope. Somewhere in the Old Testament, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And sometimes when, there's, when you have no sense of, 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 of movement, no sense of hope, no sense of your future, no sense of destiny, no sense of where you're going, it's a difficult life. But this, this hope is subjective in the sense that it is something that energizes us. It's something that once we realize it, once we hear the word of God, once we understand what Jesus has done for us, once we understand the, the ramifications and the repercussions of the, of the resurrection... The resurrection is not just about, it's certainly not about Easter eggs. It's not just about nice dresses and and suits and ties. It's not just about church and religion. It's about something greater than that. It's about the fact that God in Christ made us alive when we were dead in trespasses and sins. It's about the fact that God, through sending his son to die for us and through raising him from the dead, says both this, that your sin is significant and, and, and I'm... I'm going to pay the price for your sin, but also the fact that I also have overcome death so that death is not the final word for you. Because you've died in me, but you've also risen in me, and you've risen with me, and you will rise again. And so it produces, this living hope produces what? Confidence. So we can live a confident life in the face of the reality of death. We can live confidently. In the, in the midst of all of our struggles, we can live with confidence because we have a hope 
If things don't work out so well today, I know that there's a brighter tomorrow. And if things don't work out so well tomorrow, I understand this, that ultimately I'm going to be all right because I am bound up with God in Christ and I am saved by the blood of Jesus. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. My my name is written in the Lamb's book of life and I know that God has my future and my destiny under His control. Notice this as well. Peter really likes this word, living. Because he speaks in verse 3 of chapter 1 of a living hope, the living word of God, Christ as the living stone, and Christians as living stones. And I like that word living too. I like that word much more than dying. I like that word much more than being dead. He says in another place, that Paul writes in Colossians 1.27, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, pointing out the fact that we should always look at the word hope in terms of Things future. It it always speaks of something yet to come, something ahead of us, something yet to be received. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Peter 1, 3, a living hope that we shall receive ultimately. What he's really saying is that we will receive a resurrected body. I have to to back it up. Sometimes Christians get all over the place with their understanding of the afterlife. Oh, when you die, you go to heaven and you get a harp. (laughs) Or in my case... uh, a Nord stage red keyboard that I can't afford now because it costs four thousand dollars, and a Hammond B3, a real cool one from about 1963, with a 122 speaker, you know, yeah, or a Steinway uh, B, you know, or you get a, you get a harp, and you get um, you get a robe, and you're actually look, you're a spirit, you kind of float around, and if you're not careful, you might you know, balderdash. Bible speaks of a resurrection. Read 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about a resurrected body. There is a physicality. There is a, and don't ask me how God, God does that because if, if God can make me in the first place and I am fearfully and wonderfully made, then God can certainly resurrect dead bodies or reconstruct or reconstitute dead bodies from ashes or molecules or whatever he wants to do. But the idea is that we have a physical embodiment, a, a, a resurrected existence. In other words, you will live forever as a child of God with a kind of physical and spiritual existence. It will be another class of body. It'd be something much more like any uh, people maybe who follow superheroes might imagine. <laughs> but the hope is not just that you're going to be in some amorphous spiritual thing, but that you will, in the words of Paul, I think it is, we shall be changed. He says it does not appear what we shall be, but we shall be like him when we appear because we'll see him as he is. And so uh, it's the kind of hope and you think about it, that motivates us as believers to push on through what we're suffering in our daily lives. That's what living hope does. So you need hope when you face those challenges. And so this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection, we celebrate the living hope that is ours in Christ. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate this morning has provided a way for you and for me to experience spiritual rebirth, Rebirth that gives rise to a living hope. The question is, as we, and I'm really grateful this morning that we can't smell food yet. Um, but what, what does this mean to you and me from this moment forward in life? First of all, realize this, that hope is something that is beyond mere optimism. Now, I, I like optimism, but Rick, Rick Warren said this. He said, optimism is psychological. Hope is theological. Optimism focuses on what you think you can do. 
hope, trust in what God can do. And I like to think positively. And much, I, I prefer that very much over thinking negatively. I like optimism, and I try to live my life with a degree of, of optimism. But hope is something beyond mere optimism. There's a supernatural component to hope, to this living hope that, that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's based upon a future promise, based upon the historical fact of the resurrection. And so it enables us to go beyond feelings. That's why some years ago the songwriter wrote, he says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is not just the fact that I'm feeling pretty chipper today. Wow, I'm really optimistic. I think, you know, hey, the, you know, who knows? The Dodgers might make it to the pennant again this year. Or the, the, the Lakers might do something. I don't know. You know, and then your, your hopes, those hopes, that optimism is dashed on the, upon the rock of, of reality. You may have a hope that your 401K uh, is cool by the time you get ready to retire. Well, you know, just pray and keep your fingers crossed. But hope is something more than just optimism. Optimism inevitably fails when you're faced with insurmountable difficulties. And in life, being real about it, sometimes as human beings, we come up against things that we cannot handle in our own strength. Uh, uh, It's hard to be optimistic when you've just lost your job and and you're dealing with the realities of a a, a given job market. It's hard to be optimistic when, when when you're diagnosed with a terminal illness. It's not unrealistic to have faith and to have hope and to trust God, but it's hard to be optimistic in your, in your emotions. Well, I'm feeling really, how, how you feel about that? You know, your doctor says, you say, well, doc, I feel really good about this. I know you're the best doc and I know that, you know, I've got good insurance or, or, uh, or I've got, I'll go down to county UCLA and wait in the emergency room. I talked to a lady yesterday who spent 24 hours waiting in the emergency room at Harbor UCLA because she was dehydrated. <laughs> You know, that's, there's not much optimism there. It's hard to be optimistic when a loved one has just been lost in an accident or someone has just encountered some sort of untold tragedy. But understand this, folks. The hope we have in Jesus transcends every circumstance and every situation. That is the, that is the thing about our faith that's so amazing is that it's not that God gives us this magic mojo that we, that we get everything we want and we can just wave the wand of faith and, 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 and spew the, the incantation of the word and, and, and all of our problems go away and all of our struggles disappear and all, everything turns out the way we would like it. The, the amazing thing about the Christian faith is that we, we, we live life in the real world like, like everybody. And I believe in prayer and faith and God does change things and prayer changes things and God does miracles. We sing about it. We believe that, right? Yes. On the other hand, in, in, in reality, God doesn't answer every prayer and everything doesn't turn out the way we want to. We go through things we wish we did not have to go through. We face challenges in life that we wish we did not have to face. And there's some mountains we say, you know, he says, you know, uh, you know we've got a mountain moving faith. That mountain ain't going nowhere. So I got to either tunnel through it or just go over it or around it. Probably just give me the, the, you know, you know what I'm saying, right? But the wonderful thing about this living hope is that no matter what, apart from whatever optimism you might lack, you might be down in the dumps today, but hope is constant and it doesn't go anywhere. It is that thing that enables us as believers to keep on trucking and to keep on going and to keep on and to keep on keeping on. It's the hope of eternal life, the hope of future glory, the hope of ultimate redemption, the guarantee that no matter what we go through in life, everything is going to be all right because Jesus, if he can conquer the grave, if he can conquer death, then he can conquer your situation and he can conquer that challenge and he can take you through whatever you need to go through. Because Jesus conquered death. Paul says we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. And let, let, let me just, and I'm just going to read, a little, let's go a little further in the text. He says he's given us this living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, and into an inheritance that is imperishable. This is what you've got. I think uh, one version says, I think it says, it can neither perish, spoil, nor fade. CSB says, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in the bank. No, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Say glorious joy. Glorious joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory is another way of saying that. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. There's your hope. It's an incorruptible inheritance. It's the fact that God has something for you planned in the future that nothing can change and no force can, can touch. Nothing can demean it, not, demean it. Nothing can diminish it. Nothing can decrease it. It's like having an ironclad retirement fund. And there's no possibility in all of eternity, in all of the universe, that, that, that one iota of it can ever go away. It's like having an inheritance that is ironclad, an incorruptible inheritance. And he says we're being guarded by God's power. You may feel unguarded. You may sometimes feel unprotected, but you are being guarded. You may sometimes wonder, can I make this thing? Can I, can I hold on? Can I keep serving God? Can I keep loving God? But we're guarded by God's power. He says we rejoice through our trials. Some of us don't know how to do that yet, but some of us have learned. We found it just, I know maybe, you know, when, I, when, you, when you read that, you think, wow, that's the people who like come up at church, you know, and they say, praise the Lord. I just got this news, and they give you some real bad news. But hallelujah, anyhow. And then they go off, this, and they, they just, hallelujah, I got shout, you know. Like, how could they do that? Well, that's not where we, and that's not usually where we encounter this rejoicing through trials. Usually not at that level. It usually begins when we're going through a trial as a Christian, and there's a growing awareness as we go through stuff. I, I sense that God has not forgotten about me. We read, we read the scripture and choose to believe it. And as we go through, we realize hey, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Not because it wasn't bad, but because I was going through it. I, 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 I could sense that God was holding me up. And so I, there's, a, there's a sense in which I was able to, I could go to church and I could sing the songs and I could praise God. I, I, could, I could still say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Whereas you know, before your life was changed, before you were born again, when stuff was messed up in your life, you couldn't say thank you. You didn't want to say thank you. You said things that you wouldn't say in church. Or you shouldn't yeah. say in church. He says, Rejoicing through trials. He says, and we rejoice with this inexpressible and glorious joy. And I hope we're coming to understand and experience what joy is because it's beyond happiness. And we're conquerors, not because we've conquered every situation. Right? We're conquerors not because we have some kind of mystical, magical power to make everything turn out the way we'd like it to be. But we're conquerors because of what we celebrate today. Because Christ defeated death, hell, the grave, Satan, sin, sickness, death. That's the hope of eternal life, abundant life, future glory, ultimate redemption. The guarantee that no matter what we go through in life, everything is going to be all right. 
of Jesus. We're conquerors because we have an inheritance that is beyond the economy, that's not predicated on the stock market, the housing market, or the prices at the supermarket. Amen. Amen. Uh, we have a hope that isn't bound by the limitations of our physical bodies, but encompassed by the promise of a resurrection body. That's the power of the resurrection. The resurrection holds the power not only to conquer death, but demolish strongholds in your life, give you strength to face every situation, and give you power to live with confidence. That's why I believe it was the Gaithers years ago, a song that became one of the Easter standards. It said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone, because I know who holds the future, and life is worth the living. Why? Because he lives. And as I close, Tim Keller tells the following story about the power of Christ's resurrection. He says, a minister was in Italy. And there he saw the grave of a man who had died centuries before, who was an unbeliever and completely against Christianity, but a little afraid of it too. So the man had a huge slab put over his grave so that he would not have to be raised from the dead in case there was a resurrection from the dead. <laughs> He had insignias put all over the slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Evidently, when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into the grave. So a hundred years later, this acorn had become a tree and grown up through the grave and split the slab. And now there was this tall, towering oak tree coming out of, of this grave, having split the slab. And the minister looked at it and asked this question. If an acorn, which has power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, and you, you know, walk around L.A. and look at the sidewalks, right? Then what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? And Keller concludes with these comments. He says, the minute you decide to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection, the same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of the things you see as immovable slabs in your life. Come on, think of those right now. Yeah. It yeah. might be your financial situation. It might be a relationship that you've been unable to make it work. There might be all kinds of things against you. Think of what you see as immovable slabs in your life, your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your self-doubts. Those things can be split and rolled off. The more you know him, the more you grow into the power of yeah. his, the resurrection. And that's the living hope we have that God inside of us, the, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made us free from the law of sin and death is, moving, is, is, is working through those obstacles in our lives and making us the people that God wants us to be. And so, two things as we, as we close. There are a couple things that we, that we do. And, and the writer to Hebrews puts it like this. And I love this word because it's a word I've never used. I need to use it on the 405. I hope you all will drive unswervingly and stay out of my lane while you're on your phone. <laughs> he says, let us hold unswervingly. Yes. Can you, because you know, I'm, I'm, I'm swerving. swerving. Some of y'all know this, swerve too much. Yes. <laughs> I'm swerving. He said, no, it's not like that. I'm, 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 I'm focused straight ahead. He says, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Why? For he who promises faithful. And, and then here's, where it always in, in, involves the social dimension. It always involves the, the, the issue of community. He says, and, and let us consider how we may spur one. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I had the cowboy th stuff. You go to, you know, you go to, 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 to Newberry's or Thrifty, and you, you get, you know, and you get to little, you had these little spurs, the little plaid you put on the back of your suit. Because the idea is, you, I guess you, 
if you have a real horse, I don't know if you want to try this, but you're supposed to, you know, and, and so, you know, so when you spur a horse, you got to, so that's what I'm supposed to be doing to you. Get going. Giddy up. That's what it says. That's the Bible. It says how we may spur one another on toward love and goodness. How can we, how can we help? How can we promote, promote? How can we provoke each other to do our best and, the, and, and to love Christ more and to, and to serve the world better and to be, be, more, to be more mature believers? But the, the key is to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Don't let go of your hope. Don't allow the enemy to, 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 take your, to, to, to rob you of your hope. Don't allow circumstances to, to take you off task, but hold unswervingly. Hold on to it. Fight for it. Stand for it, he says. And then, and then uh, in Hebrews 6, uh, 19, he says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. You see, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. The order of Melchizedek, we won't get into all that, but hope is an anchor for your soul. Not for, you know what? Do you have any boaters in, in there? I didn't think so. <laughs> this doesn't look like a boating crowd. <laughs> I used for a long time, I told my wife, I'll meet you on my yacht. You have to say yacht. I got it back. My yacht. My yacht. Kind of like Thurston Howell the Third. But you know what? An anchor. If you have a boat, it's a big metal thing, and it, you drop it, and it, it, they call it weighing. W e i g h. They weigh anchor, and they drop it. And what does it do? It keeps the boat theoretically from 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 moving about because it it I guess you know it's got the prong things on it. So hope is that for you. So hope is that thing that keeps you from losing your mind and going all over the place and being all out of control. It keeps you on track. It keeps you grounded. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. So as I close, in the resurrection of Jesus, God uh, has embedded in the earth for us an anchor of hope, and it's strong enough to withstand. I saw, I was on a substitute, I was substitute teaching, and I got to go on a field trip. Went to the science center, and I got to see the IMAX, on the IMAX movie about hurricanes with several other thousand students. But it was fascinating because hurricanes are pretty, pretty scary, pretty, pretty powerful. But don't you know that this, this anchor of hope is, is sturdy enough to withstand any hurricane in your life? <coughs> this hope is the anchor that declares these three things, and I, I'm done. Number one, and you say this with me, God can overcome my past. Say it. God can be with me in the present. Each and every day. Yeah, you can say that too. And then finally, God has a future for me. God has a future for me. Amen. 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 You have hope this morning. God bless you. Keep hope alive. We gotta say that. We say keep hope alive. Yeah.